Welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and are covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty, treaties to peaceably share and protect this land through friendship and respect. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect through conversation. Well, we started talking about how to enter into creative spaces, which led us into looking at three poems called Act One, Act Two, and then today we were going to do Act Three that I had written, and then we're we're finding out how our poetry communicates with each other <laughs> through exploring the theme. And we started with again this idea of a creative space, which moved us into thinking about voice and how voice works in within that creative space. And then we moved into thinking about the blackout because each of the poems end with blackout. And we started thinking about the idea of blackout in terms of of the creative process, the creative space, creative work, that relationship, and that time that happens between scenes to transport you from one scene to the next. We have, and you've just summed it up so beautifully, Jessica. I mean, we, we roll around and we always kind of come back again too. So absolutely, all of that and more to come. <laughs> the thing that stuck out the most to me over the last little while has been some ideas around the way we hold story in our bodies and that relationship between story, mind, feeling, body. You know, we could think about it in terms of that that holistic vision of story. And I, when I think about the medicine wheel, I think about it in terms of that spirit heart, mind, and body, and how it's it's all about all of those different pieces. And last week in particular, when we were reading your poem about the stepdaughter. For a lost stepdaughter. That's mm-hmm. right. In particular, I found that that poem really hit each of those four directions. When I first started learning how to write, and when I was a new writing teacher, we often talked about that importance of appealing to the senses and how important that was because that brings in the body. Often as writers, we we default to appealing to the mind. We often default to the heart or to the emotions that, that come through within a story. But the places where we sometimes need a little extra help are that spirit and the body. And the senses is a really excellent way to help appeal to the body through that that writing. But I'm wondering, because a, a lot of what we've talked about over the last little while has been about the spirit. And we've really been digging in. To me, that creative space is what that spirit is. It's what's driving us to write, the why behind why we write. And it's the mystery 
around how ideas get threaded together to become something that we, you know, in terms of the metaphor I've often been using, it's that jar, putting putting those feelings, those stories, those moments in jars and holding them up for a better look. But really what, what we're building, in my view, is trying to, to get a glimpse of what that spirit is within that. Yes. And as you say, through the concrete world and through interaction and through relationship, even with the relationship that the speaker has with the jar and how the jar is speaking back to the speaker and what's happening in that interaction as well, too. And it's been fun exploring Act 1, Act 2, and I look forward to exploring Act 3 today. But again, when we think about a jar being a container, which is also what a creative space is too, but it's an interesting space because we are almost sort of finding out what that space is holding as we move into it to find out its parameters. So we're co-creators, but it's also part of that co-creation. So I find that all really interesting. And when you come out of it, that's when you can sort of see the bigger picture. But you kind of walk in or move in blindly sometimes and just have to trust the process. Oh my gosh, you've just described our experience in creating this podcast and our way of entering in to see what this space as a podcast is a form where we're co-creating together and what it might hold and how things evolve through the showing up and paying attention and listening. And when we started today, I had no idea I was going to say the things I just said. So you likely didn't have any idea. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I didn't know I was just going to say what I said. Absolutely. So already, I mean, as, as we have in our description, the pull of mystery, and we feel that pull every time that we enter into this space, don't we, Jessica? We do. And I feel that part of what we do in it is we trust the process and we trust each other. And we hit the record button in our program here. And I know for me, I, I I lean back and I almost sometimes I even close my eyes or my eyes go soft where I don't even really notice what's around me in the room. And I wear a headset and all I can hear is your voice. I practice that intense listening and fall into a flow and just let my voice guide direction in the same way that I would when I would be writing on the page. And I didn't realize that that could be translated into conversation in this way. That conversation could be an act of improvisation. I was just thinking about the word improvisation. Thank you for bringing that up because clearly <laughs> our minds are communicating even before we uh, we reveal what the words want to uh, be when they come out of our mouths. I was thinking the same word and very much the trust is a big part of what this is and that we know that we are in safe hands because that's a big part of it and you also mentioned listening Mm -hmm. and I think that there's something there that also adds to where the mystery takes us because we're listening to each other but I think we're also listening to something that's happening between as well and in that between it's almost like well we'll go back to some of the words that we've used in previous episodes and thinking about a portal we're creating a portal as we move into this creative space absolutely and it's about relationship too and our relationship with each other and our relationship with this form and I feel that some of the ideas that we've just shared in the last couple of minutes can easily be translated to relationship with an editor You need to have that trust. You need to trust the process, even a relationship with a publisher, a relationship with a reader and and, and being able to step back and to look at it and to understand what's my role here 
and how much control do I need to have is really important. And I share this because we're moving into act three. And these three poems have all been about relationship between the speaker and jar. And so I wonder if maybe having this at front of mind while we enter into reading act three will help to activate some connections and some thinking around, well, what is my relationship with the creative process so that our listeners can also take that moment to think back and go, where are we right now? Because like we mentioned last week, relationship is always fluid and in flux and moving. It's not something that's static, either that or I mentioned it in my head. But balance and relationship isn't something that that sticks. It's something that moves. And so you as being part of that always have to be moving too. And when one piece of that isn't moving, that's when you start having things go off balance and you have a break in the relationship. I think that's so beautifully put. And really, again, it's about the sense of movement, not only within the individual, but as you say, the relationship and the space between that keeps that fluidity going and and so on. So, but I'm excited to share the poem with you now, Jessica, and we will again do a a duo reading of it. So yeah, let's begin. A poem for two voices. Act three. Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now plays. I lie on my back, sink into carpet. Jar says, my jar is empty too. Not you again. You burned out. You burned in. And I am tired. It's time. Take the hammer. To smash you? Shatter me into pieces. Freedom from this. Will it hurt? Jars are made to be used. Then let go. I reach out. Hold jar. What if I shared you instead? Blackout. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Just making sure that there wasn't really a blackout. Just checking no, I'm in. still here. <laughs> when I think about, you know, entering into that relationship, and now we move into Act 3. So if we remember in Act 1, it was that early forming, that getting to know, and a bit of that push-pull was starting to take place between Jar and the speaker because it was vying for control. Who's controlling this piece? Is it the person writing it or is it is it the mystery? Is it the piece itself? And then when we moved into act two, the speaker was really having a hard time with vulnerability, fear, doubt, wondering how they could hide because as you put stories into jars, people can see them. And so looking for escape and really trying to see like, okay, if I allow you to be in control of this jar, then it might go to places that I'm not ready to share yet. And how do I balance that out? And now we get to act three. And again, it's not all rosy and sunshine in this relationship. There's push and pull. There's things that are good and things that aren't. It begins with Joni Mitchell's both sides now. And it really is looking at things from in two different ways and, and making sure that you can see that there's always something you can't see, even about yourself and your way into the process and why you're writing even what you're writing about. Or I know for me, there's pieces I've done in the past where I don't even know why I've engaged in that topic. And sometimes it's a decade later before I go, oh, okay, now I understand why I wrote that poem. I didn't know at the time. And in this poem here, it talks about how, how you get lit up with passion when you're working on a big writing project, but you also can get burned out with that same passion. There's a balance within the work and there's, a, there's an exhaustion that can come that doesn't have to be a negative thing. I feel like when you put your whole self into something, even if it 
if it's full of joy, and I see this always, I work in schools, so I see this the first week of school. At the end of the first week, a kindergarten student will always be lying on the the ground near the playground structure, pointing at it and saying, I want to go up there, but they're too exhausted to move (laughs) because they've had so much fun playing. And so recognizing that even when we're having fun and we're engaging in the process, because we know that that if we're not having fun, it's tiring. But even when we're having fun, it's tiring. And there's a cost to that. And we've got to take those rests and take those breaks. And then there comes a time where you have to let jar go. And you have to let the content stand on their own. And you don't have the safety of the glass walls anymore. And you have to decide, is this something I'm going to share out in the world? Or is this something that I'm going to keep for myself and make those really big decisions, especially if it's if, if it's something that, that you feel is part of your truth. And I always find that the best writing doesn't mean it has to be nonfiction, but the best writing is always grounded in some sort of truth in a truth that's true to you in some way. I think that you've said so much there, Jessica, that rings true. Sorry for the pun there, but (laughs) so much of, of what we do to move into a space as a writer is to find out what it is that we need to know. And sometimes that is revealed in ways that we can see and sometimes in ways that we can't see until other people's help other people help us to see or there's something that changes in in our perception that allows us to see so there's always different layers and i think too about the poem that we just shared of yours and it it has the phrase what if what if i shared you instead and i can't help but think about what if connecting to possibility and we've talked about emily dickinson and dwelling in possibility and i think that that's a really important part of the creative possibilities or the creative process that that can be where we need to go rather than just the poem could have ended i reach out whole jar blackout but no i reach out whole jar what if i shared you instead so i think that's a key moment in the poem and also the fact that the speaker is looking at an alternative way of how the relationship can be with the jar. And we are in a blackout, but it's a different blackout now. So that's the thing about repetition. It's a tool we use as writers, but ultimately you want that tool to be moving in a new place, just as you were describing relationships and continuing into a a place of uh, exchanging energy and growing and not being in sort of a, a stalemate where nothing is happening. And then that sense, too, of how we can repeat words for rhythm, for imagery chains. And with blackout, it's interesting because I feel there's a hope within this particular blackout. It's a series, too, as, as, as all poems are when they're in a book. They're not just standalones, although we have a three-part poem here, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. But it's also part of a book and also part of a bigger journey. And it's interesting too, when you see a poem on the page, this poem, I know our listeners can't see it, but I'll just describe it. It runs to the next page. So we have the first page where the poem is, and then you have to turn the page. And then after blackout, you have a lot of white space. 
And I think that communicates something as well, too. There's possibility in that white space. So yes, you can see that blackout has got me going into more positive things today, I think, Jessica. <laughs> it is, I, I'm with you. And thank you so much for that. And and just to also add the detail of the next page, the, the poem on the next page is called The Thing with Feathers, which is the title poem of the book. And we know that that's at Emily Dickinson connection. Uh, from the line, hope is the thing with feathers. And so it's so interesting that you made that connection with the what if and dwelling in possibility, because there's some of Emily Dickinson's spirit on the next page and that that importance of hope and that in every blackout, there is always hope. Yes, there is always hope. Yeah. And sometimes we just have to make that decision and put hope in hope and put hope in the jar. Right, right. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Jessica, you're going to have to write act four, act five, because I just, I'm on a run with your jar poems. And we had a little chat prior to this, as we always do, just to make sure equipment is working and so on. And I said to Jessica, I said, I want to end all my poems with the word blackout. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that's awesome. So I wrote that down because I might just take that back from you. I don't know. You're welcome to use it too. And then I know. Oh, now we're going to fight about we'll it. fight about it. That's just fine. We can do it each in our own way. But then I started thinking of other theater words. And I've been writing this. I don't know when I wrote this, just since we had that conversation. And then I guess I've been writing it while I've been talking about other things. But I wrote out mm-hmm. blackout. There's lights fade. There's lights up. There's exit. There's so many great stage direction words that I think would be really fun to play with in a poem. And so feel free, audience, to go and read some stage directions, pull some words, play with them and see where they take you and see how they can maybe open up some portals or become transitions that transport you from one thing to the next. Because I think that could be a really fun way to engage in a creative space. Yes. And you're looking at language and going back to the tilt, the way that language can tilt to different meanings. And just as we were looking at that when we when we looked at the word blackout. So it's just interesting to sort of see the different ways that language can take us. Mm-hmm. And, and there is always possibility there, as you said. So I love totally. that. The other thing in this poem that was different than the other two was that there was music included. And that's, again, something we use in the theater often. We'll have a song play as a transition into a scene so that there isn't conversation happening right away. But you might see some blocking, we would call it, which is the movement of the actors on stage with some music playing in the background. And in this little scene it starts with Joni Mitchell's both sides now I think music is another thing that can be incredibly transportive when we're thinking about creative spaces and entering in and exiting what are your thoughts thank you for bringing up music because it's on my mind as well too and I think about how this poem has music in it and it brings that song to mind and just the fact that both sides now I think says so much about the creative process and our journey as humans and how you can look at something in different ways and how both can be true. I'm thinking now of a poem that was inspired by a song. Should I share it now, Jessica? Oh, that would be wonderful. Yes, okay. yes. Because you know what? You need to stop. We're moving in. We're moving in. What's happening in my head right now is I'm, I'm playing over and over. I've looked at life from both sides now. So I need a new song in my head. So I'm hoping well, you can I help me out. Well, I am too. I am absolutely. And maybe our listeners will want to listen to some Joni Mitchell after this. And maybe they'll want to listen to this next songwriter that I'll be mentioning. And it's Burt Bacharach. When I first started writing, 
I mean, I had no plans to be a writer. It was the death of my parents that entered me into the creative journey and writing was the the thing that brought me to a place of connection and it's been really the core of my life ever since and they died when I was young just barely out of teens and of course that's uh, something that you live with loss and grief and at different stages of our lives but it was a lot to to deal with as a young person and and so I'd have these moments where I would just feel I was connecting to them and sometimes those moments would also manifest in ways that something from talking about the concrete world, something would happen. I'd be thinking about them and then something would happen to gift me with their lives, even though they were no longer here. And I don't even know how I know this, but my parents did have a song and it was This Guy's In Love With You by Burt Bacharach. Um, how does it go? It's one of those things. Pardon me? <laughs> What's that? How does it go? I'm putting you on the spot. You don't oh. have to sing it. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, it's one of those songs that it's not an easy one to sing. It's, no. it's, it's quite, yeah, and you wouldn't want to hear me sing it, Jessica. <laughs> maybe, our, maybe our listeners will uh, put it on. And, of course, there's different, I think, Dionne Warwick, Warwick sang a version and uh, many others. But um, and so then there's good. just an instrumental version as well. It's a beautiful arrangement of music. And I was studying in Northern Ireland, studying poetry, and I was on a break and I was back in Canada. And I did grow up in Grimsby, my formative years, and I have such nostalgia for that place. And this was, this is going back over 20 years now, but I remember I would often go there and just drive by the house that we lived in and go down main street. It was, is that near Hamilton? Yeah. It's just outside. It's, it's just outside past Stony, Stony Creek. It's on the escarpment, this little town, the escarpment behind it. And so anyway, and also there was this bakery there and I was best friends with the the girl her parents owned the bakery so a lot of memories of helping punch out tarts and the tart machine and dip sort of lady fingers and chocolate and so it was helping out as a kid so I went into the the bakery I knew when I walked in that I was going to hear their song and there was this little radio playing their song and it was just one of these moments of it's it's here it it's it's opening up something's happening and I'm just I'm 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 living the poem. I'm grateful that I was able to write a poem because sometimes you're just living the poem and you know it. And then a poem sometimes does come out. So I will share this now. The poem is titled, I Thank You, Bird Bacharach. It's as if I can taste the rising dough as I enter the bakery. Bread loaves wrapped in cellophane sit like fresh jacketed books, rye, wheat, pumpernickel, white. When ready to choose, I'm drawn to an old radio, sandwiched between cake boxes and a ball of string. Across its crackling airwaves comes their song. This guy's in love with you. It's been years since I've heard it. It's been years since they died. The clerk lady asks if I'd like anything. I say no. But inside I say yes. I'd like to stand right here and listen to this song. So I do. Wow. That poem 
has so much happening in it in terms of the story. I feel that another thread throughout it is that mystery. I feel that it, it, it captures the spirit of synchronicity and emotion, how it can catch us by surprise when we hear a song. Earlier today, I talked about the, the four directions, thinking about spirit, heart, mind, and body. And as you were reading, it really moves through each of those four, which again is, I think, why it, it, it makes the hairs on the on my arms stand up. It starts with the the moving through the body and the bakery and the smells and the movement, the choosing, which is something we do with our mind, that spirit crackling the airwaves, and then the emotion that it ends with at the end. Thank you so much for reading that. Thank you for your kind words and your insights there, Jessica. I haven't looked at this poem in a while, so it's interesting sort of to see what's there and also other things that come out as I as we are chatting about what we're chatting about and I'm thinking about the word rising the dough rising and how again just like with the jar we were speaking about the jar and how if you put certain things in a jar and close it how it could ferment so something can happen even in a space where it seems like nothing is happening how things can be wrapped the bread loaves wrapped in cellophane the clear quality and again the barrier of something keeping it fresh but but also protecting it. And then that word between, we're really, I think as writers interested in those between spaces, or at least the two of us are, and trying to communicate what's there. And then that word crackling. So that idea too of sound being part of the moment and the communication that's happening as well. Interesting to sort of see it and and experience it again. So mm-hmm. it's a poem that, I don't know, I... I it's it's just interesting to sort of see because it's pretty much how it was when I wrote it. It didn't require a lot of editing. I'm just happy that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find uh, when we think about all the conversation we've been having over the last few weeks about creative spaces, about voice, about the mystery, even about the blackout. You, there's an implied back at blackout at the end of this poem um, when it ends. I like to st- I'd like to stand here and listen to this song, so I do. It's not written into the poem, obviously, but it's implied that there's a moment of transport that takes place from one place to the next, right? The the speaker in yes. the poem gets lost in the mm-hmm. song. I find too, what this really brings to mind for me, when we were talking earlier about how often we, we don't consider how we might include spirit in what we write. I find sometimes music is that is a really nice way to connect into that. And especially when it's a song that reminds you of a person. And I've had moments like that in life when I've just been out getting a coffee or it's come on the radio and and the right song has come on and the right time. And it's sometimes it's, it's giving me a message I really need to hear in my life. And sometimes it's feels like it's one of my ancestors coming to say hello. Uh, there's one song in particular that my uncle used to have me sing. I am a singer, so that's why I was teasing you earlier. So sorry for that. Oh, I know. Um, I know. I know. You're a beautiful <laughs> singer. But uh, he used to have me sing uh, Bring It On Home to me, I think it was called. And it's like a bluesy, bluesy song. 
maybe BB mm. King. It's not one you hear often, but every time I, I hear it, I think of him and I, I feel like he's saying hello. And so you've, you've captured that kind of a moment here where you have that song that comes in and all of a sudden you feel the presence of someone who you may have lost or who you don't have that presence with you in such an intense way all the time. I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. people who've lost are always with us in some way, but I find that intensity varies throughout our days and throughout our lives. But a song can be that thing that that makes it feel like they're right up close to us. Yes, it's just not listening to music. It's an experience and it's an alignment as well, the way that you've described so many things connecting and falling into place. It makes me think too of the external and the internal, having sort of an, an opening place to to experience something that deepens the the existence that we have here and the limited amount of time that we have here. Absolutely. So when we consider all of that and what we've learned through your poem, and sorry to bring it back to the attention on me and my poem, but when we we go back... Oh, by all means, please do. (laughs) When we come back to look at Act 3 and think about Joni Mitchell being there with both sides now and music playing, there can be this question of what is that third presence that's now in the room it isn't just jar and the speaker anymore there's a third presence that's there so who what how all of these questions that can be explored by the listener the reader in terms of the space and and who's there and how music can add that layer that we may have missed the first time through. And going back to that something you can't see yourself, that can be part of that and how that can be slowly revealed to you. And just even thinking about the third party of our experience in the Hummingbird podcast is is the listeners who are out there. So we have what we're doing together, but the listeners are part of this as well too. And, And whatever way we are communicating to them and how they are perceiving this conversation. So it's not just about us. It's about a relationship outside of us as well, which I think makes it really special. Mm -hmm. And then working together to say uncover hidden patterns. And maybe that's something we'll we'll bring in next week is how does that work? Well, hidden patterns. I have a quote there that listeners stay tuned because you may know it, but you'll be happy to hear it again. So yeah, absolutely. See you next week. See you next week. Catherine Graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in Toronto. Jessica Outram is a Métis writer and educator, Coburg's fourth poet laureate, and assistant principal of Indigenous education. The music has been generously provided by Shannon Linton. Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com.